Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Paolo Balboa, Senior Program Manager with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, or NDIA, as well as Jessica Hatch, Broadband Coordinator for Door County, Wisconsin, and Ashley Pollard, the Digital Inclusion Manager for the City of Philadelphia. Both Door County and Philadelphia were recently selected as Digital Inclusion Trailblazers, which is a program organized by NDIA that sets a benchmark for local governments who are doing digital equity and digital inclusion work. We discuss that program in more detail, as well as the unique circumstances surrounding the digital divide in Philadelphia and Door County, what's working, where they're still facing challenges, closing connectivity gaps, and much more. All right. Ashley, Jessica, and Paolo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to get to talk with all of you today. Um, But before we get started, why don't you each introduce yourselves and your roles at your respective organizations? Um, Paolo, let's start with you, then Ashley, then Jessica. Sure. Hey, everyone. It's great to be here. Good morning. Uh, My name is Paolo Balboa. I'm a senior program manager with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. And what I do in my role is support local governments and help uh, coalition building uh, with local practitioners. So in the context of today's conversation, that means uh, heading up and overseeing the Digital Inclusion Trailblazers program, which I'm happy to talk more about. Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Ashley Pollard. I'm the Digital Inclusion Manager at the City of Philadelphia. Um, Being one of two uh, mighty uh, team members on our team, I do a lot. Um, uh, Very broadly, the work focuses on um, sort of creating, managing, um, overseeing our digital inclusion programs. Um, And I focus uh, especially on connectivity, um, affordable internet connectivity, um, and, you know, manage programs that that support that. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Jessica Hatch. I am the broadband coordinator for Door County, Wisconsin. Uh, In my role, I wear two very different hats. I work with our municipalities and local government, um, ad hoc broadband committees to partner with internet service providers to build out fiber to the premise to all of their residents and businesses under their municipal boundaries to address infrastructure for access purposes. And I also partner with the United Way of Door County on digital equity and inclusion. And I sit on the Wisconsin Digital Equity and Inclusion Stakeholder Group. The goal for both of our groups is to grow and strengthen the digital inclusion ecosystem throughout Door County and throughout the state of Wisconsin to address affordability and adoption. Our county uh, digital equity and inclusion group includes a variety of not-for-profits, county offices, and a local technology company, Quantum PC. All right. Excellent. Thank you all so much for that. Um, So we're going to get into a lot of stuff. I want to talk specifically about the digital divides that you all are facing in Door County and in Philadelphia. Um, But the reason we're all here today is because your cities, your municipalities were selected as uh, digital inclusion trailblazers with the NDIA. So let's talk a bit about that first. Um, Paolo, I'm going to come back to you. Can you share some background on the digital inclusions trailblazers effort? What is it? How long has this been running? How do you choose your winners? And what does it mean to be chosen? 
Sure. Yeah, I'll just start with a little bit of background about who we are at NDIA, uh, because that will inform you know how the Trailblazer program fits into our overall mission. Uh, so very briefly, uh, we at NDIA we've been around for eight years. We are a collection of over fifteen hundred affiliates spanning across all fifty states, including uh, U.S. territories. Our goal is to support practitioners and local governments to build digital inclusion ecosystems. Uh, everything that we do, we do with our community of over 1,500 affiliates. So whether that uh, includes coming up with definitions such as digital equity and digital inclusion, coming up with program models, or building out the Digital Inclusion Trailblazer program, we do with a working group of folks who are invested and in doing the work locally, and we gather best practices and uh, develop programs around that. Trailblazers is a national benchmark for local governments who are doing digital equity and digital inclusion work. Local governments are invited to apply for the Trailblazer program, and by local governments, we mean municipalities, whether that's a small township, a large city, a county, or even regional governments. Trailblazers is a program that both recognizes uh, excellent digital inclusion work on the ground, but it also serves as a recommendation for other local governments who might be new to the digital equity or digital inclusion field and who might want a model for what excellent work looks like. So we look at Trailblazers by serving four guiding principles, uh, one of which is that it sets a national standard for digital inclusion work. It's also an honor role that bestows prestige to local governments who are awarded this honor, as uh, we're excited to hear about later uh, in this interview. Uh, Trailblazers serves as a free and open knowledge database. So everything that uh, an applicant submits, we make open and available on the Trailblazers website. And we're really, really excited about that. And I'm excited to talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, and then lastly, Trailblazers you know, encourages communities to sort of articulate and share the efforts uh, that they're doing to address the digital divide locally. Um, as far as the program, like this year, this is our seventh year uh, of Trailblazers. This year we had a big, big revision uh, because we wanted to make sure that, you know, as the digital inclusion field continues to grow and evolve, that this program, which is the benchmark, that it reflects new and emerging best practices. So. NDIA did what NDIA does best. We engaged a working group of practitioners and local governments. We asked, what are you guys doing in the, in the past few years that is like new and not reflected in the previous iteration of Trailblazers? So we wanted to make sure that we recognized uh, programs like Digital Navigators. We wanted to make sure that we recognize coalition building um, and other sorts of partnerships that local governments have with organizations locally. Um, I'm excited to hear from our guests on this uh, podcast, uh, which each represent two different types of trailblazers that we introduced this year. One of which is the visionary type trailblazer, and one of which is the and the other of which is the trailblazer. Uh, we wanted to have two types of trailblazers that we award this year in order uh, to do two things. We wanted to make sure that we are recognizing local governments that are truly, truly pushing down the envelope forward for digital equity for their residents. Those are the visionary trailblazers. But we also wanted to keep the program open and inclusive for local governments that are smaller and might not have those same resources or who might also be new to the digital inclusion field as they continue, as they get ready to build out their programs and partnerships. 
Okay, excellent. So let's um, hear from a couple of them right now. Um, Jessica and Ashley, why don't you share a little bit about um, why your teams applied to be a part of this um, and and what it means to have uh, been selected. Um, Jessica, let's start with you and then Ashley, feel free to chime in. Thank you. So when I started my position with the county in 2022, I knew that I wanted our county broadband strategy to be really holistic, and I knew that needed to include digital equity and inclusion to address community needs. Um, because our municipalities are investing into fiber infrastructure for access, I, we wanted to make sure that our taxpayers know how to use this service and they're not afraid to use this service. So being aware that there is digital equity and inclusion funding designated as part of BEAD, I wanted to be prepared and I felt that the infrastructure work and the digital equity and inclusion work needed to be compatible with each other. And I wanted to find a quality DEI information and curriculum when I stepped into my position, but I wasn't really sure where to start at the time. So I did some research and I found NDIA and saw the quality educational materials and all the information they provided and really making the decision to use their modeling and platform made it very easy, especially since it's a national standard for excellent DEI work. You can see really what they've put into this work and compiling the materials. And it really helped me create a path forward and have a reference of materials and information to talk to stakeholders about when I was trying to compile my DEI group. When I was on the website in 2022 and looking around, I happened to notice the opportunity to apply um, for being a digital inclusion trailblazer. And it just made sense and aligned with our long-term goals and plans. And it was a real honor to qualify two years in a row. We really hope to keep growing our work under the NDIA modeling guidance. Excellent. Ashley, feel free to come on in. Yeah. So... Um, you know, I think our, as a city government, um, our digital inclusion work has really evolved um, over, um, you know, I would say a decade of time now, um, uh, starting really with the, the BTOP grant um, that the city was awarded um, that, that built out our public computing centers. And that was sort of the first step in our, our digital inclusion practice and portfolio Um and it evolved since then and really um, kick-started again and, and sort of really kicked off uh, during the pandemic um, and the need to respond with digital navigators um, to support our, our students um, who were at home doing their remote learning. Um, so I think that, you know, as we've evolved and grown our work, um, we've one, we've learned tremendously from the NDIA community um, and so feel like participating and applying for the Trailblazer Award um, is an important way to contribute to that community. Paolo mentioned the resources um, and sort of library uh, that exists within this community. And, and we feel it's important to, to share what we've learned and share our work along the way as much as it is important to you know, receive new ideas and, and um, collaborate with one another. Um, I also think that it 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 serves as a, an accountability measure to some extent. Um, you know, we've the city has uh, received this designation for the last several years, and 
it kind of keeps us in check. Um, and to say, you know, are we effectively progressing? Um, you know, Paolo mentioned the new sort of criteria this year um, and, and allows us to, to continue to evolve and, and pivot um, in, in uh, relative ways for the community. So, um, yeah, you know, serving as, as that uh, check on us and an accountability measure, I think, is another important part of why we applied. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great point. Um, so let's take a step back and talk about the problem you all are working so hard to solve. Um, and really, you people on this call are on the front lines of this this whole issue, uh, as well as others in local governments across the country. Um, but Jessica, coming to you, tell me a bit about Door, Con- Door County's digital divide. Um, what are the biggest challenges you all have been trying to solve? What are some lessons learned since you came on board in 2022? Um, what's working? What's not? Where do you still need support? Of course, the BEAD program's hopefully going to provide a bunch of that support. But but um, outside of dollars, you know, what else do you guys need? Well, so some of our biggest challenges when I walked into the office really was having a an understanding really what is the lived experience that our residents and businesses are going through and having a better idea of really what service looked like in Door County. We had a very small snapshot because of an engineering analysis that we helped fund with our municipalities and a couple other, our economic development organization in 2021. And there were a decent amount of responses according to the engineers, but it really wasn't enough for decision-making and planning and looking at the big picture of planning access and planning digital equity. So we made the decision, my county broadband committee and I made the decision to partner with the Wisconsin Broadband Office and use their Wiser Broadband Survey that has also a built-in speed test with it. And part of that secondary piece of that decision was knowing if you do not have internet service, you cannot take an internet survey or a speed test. And it was very important to me to have a better understanding of where where are we seeing those no service available locations? Where are they? Where is there a lack of access in the area? So we took a small portion of the Wiser and we made it, we went grassroots and we made it into a paper survey that was printed twice in our local newspaper on the front page. And then I had also a paper survey myself that I went and spoke to all of our municipalities. A majority of them all have broadband ad hoc committees in place in each municipality. So I went and spoke with them and we asked them to mail out the survey to their tax base, which a majority of our municipalities did. So we ended up getting really an incredible response rate over the period of a year. And To date, we have about 4,200 responses out of our population of about a little over 30,000. So we have a 14% response rate countywide. Um, And this data is also then, which we knew the secondary layer was that it's part of the state broadband office database. So it's helpful to them also for planning purposes and grant funding. So 
we as a county are about 42% of their database at a state level. Uh, and this work in, and a lot of this information has been used for bead planning for the initial proposal volume one as well. So this made it easier for us as a county and our municipalities to take a look at really what's going on. And it was eye-opening for a lot of those town boards to have a better idea of what the lived experience is for their residents and businesses, because everyone just assumes that you have access no matter what. But it's the quality of the service that's in place and really the speeds that are available that were really eye-opening. So a secondary issue and challenge that we address with this is building trust and really what is digital equity and inclusion. So having those discussions and since our umbrella for this work is under the United Way of Door County, the United Way of Wisconsin participated in a digital equity and inclusion outreach grant under the state. And we partnered with them as well. And we hosted six listening sessions um, that we invited the public to to have discussions really on what their needs are and have a better idea of really their lived experience without having access or without having devices and without being able to afford these things. Uh, the results from all of that were compiled and then went back to the state. And then that information was used for the Wisconsin Digital Equity an inclusion plan that was submitted to NTIA. So we continue to work on building trust through our not-for-profit partners that we have and and really doing outreach to, to really find out what they need. Um, we also have the second, we kind of tie between Forest County and Wisconsin, um, between the first and second, we go back and forth on having the highest elderly and retiree populations in the state. So outreach uh, for that from our county departments, like the Veterans Office, the ADRC, Health and Human Services, libraries, and uh, a not-for-profit called Do Good Door County that really addresses aging in place has been really incredibly helpful. Do Good Door County allowed us to get broadband questions into an aging in place survey that they had out. And that was really amazing to get the feedback from that age group and have a better understanding of really the desire that they have to be able to have the access and utilize it and learn how to use the devices and have a better understanding of how those things will help them with aging in place safely and with telehealth and telemedicine. So we had some really incredibly um, fantastic feedback from that. We've really learned that we need to have a designated digital navigator here to be able to travel throughout the entire county and be able to meet, meet people where they are. Um, we have incredible distances. Our county is 70 miles long and we are a dead-end county. So it's really challenging for people to, you know, we, we, also, we also have a canal in the middle of our county, so we have bridges. So we, people have challenges getting, you know, from Southern Door County to Northern Door County for a meeting, and they necessarily aren't going to know what's going on, you know, from one area to another. And that's a really long distance for them to travel. Uh, we need someone that is bilingual Spanish speaking to help address the needs of that community in the area. And we really need to have 
hosted spaces available in as many of our municipalities as possible. And some of that is challenging right now with access because some of our town halls don't even have access to them. So that's, you know, an issue that really was very um, alarming to learn. Uh, we have some really great partners with our not-for-profits and our local um, technology company, Quantum PC, that currently does all of this work that qualifies under digital equity and inclusion with customers, clients, and consumers of theirs. Um, so all of this is going to be really helpful in our grant narrative for funding that we really need. Um, so I know really what's working for us at this point is um, under our umbrella of the United Way of Door County, we can use their ALICE data, which is asset limited, income constrained, employed, uh, to have a better idea really of assisting those people in the community that really need it. And United Way can directly reach out to them when we have programs going on and different work going on and share that information directly with their consumers, which our not-for-profits can do as well. Um, and United Way has a really good relationship with our school districts as a trusted source to bridge conversations so that we can hopefully start having maybe some hosted meetings in school districts with families and children, so we can address that. Um, our, our Wisconsin Digital Equity and Inclusion Stakeholder Group has really been a wonderful source of support and information and ideas, and being a part of that has been really, really huge and incredible benefit to us in our local discussions, and it's given us some really good ideas to model after successes that we're seeing in different groups around the state. and. Um, and those people that are in those meetings and conversations. And our partnerships throughout the county with our not-for-profits, Quantum PC, and our county departments really can provide so much um, assistance in outreach and information and having information available on my county website and the United Way of Door County's website and Quantum PC has been really helpful so that people are becoming a little more aware of what is going on when we have events and also that we're trying to have these conversations and discussions and someone someone is trying to help them. So it's at least garnering some conversations and discussions and getting outreach, which is really helpful. The biggest support, I know you said, you know, besides funding, but that is really the biggest thing that we need is funding so that we can have a designated digital navigator and we can continue to fund Quantum PC to do the outreach that they're doing because right now they're doing things voluntarily in their own time. And we really want to make sure that we can make sure their time is at least covered for that. And we need an army of volunteers to help us do this work. Yeah, got it. You really highlight just how people-centric, um, how hyper-local, how grassroots uh, this work is. Um, just to follow up really quickly, um, to fund the initiative you were just talking about with your nonprofit partner, uh, is, B is bead funding even applicable to that, or do you need some other kind of funding for that? Well, bead funding definitely could be applicable to it in the sense of the digital equity and inclusion right. grants. Yeah. Bead funding is definitely applicable in our access, and we we continue, that is the most that I do on a daily basis is working with our municipalities for access. So 
they they both apply. And then we also, which most states are going to have capital projects funding um, for digital equity and inclusion uh, for digital navigators and devices. And our our grant for that should be opening sometime probably like early spring to June sometime is okay. we'll see federal funding under treasury for that. Okay, excellent. Um, all right, Ashley, uh, I'd love for you to speak to some of the same stuff. Um, tell us a bit about the problems you all are trying to solve in Philadelphia, what's working, what's not, um, and what more support you need. Yeah. So, um, you know, Philadelphia is a, a fairly connected city in terms of the infrastructure that is available, in terms of the access. Um, you know, in theory, um, almost all residents should be able to to have access to broadband, to home broadband. Um, in Philadelphia, though, the um, primary challenge around access um, and adoption, rather, is affordability. Um, and so we, in 2021, we um, also conducted a, a, a survey, um, sounds like a little similar, perhaps, to, to what Door County did. Um, it was the first year sort of post, you know, the initial pandemic. Um, so we wanted to see what our efforts um, led to uh, in the year after uh, 2020. Um, it also was an opportunity for us to get updated data from uh, 2019 uh, with ACS, American Community Surveys data. Um, so it was a good benchmark at the time to see, okay, since 2019, pre-pandemic, since 2020 pandemic, where are we at now? Um, the great news is that we did make a lot of progress in the city. Um, in 2019, 70% of Philadelphia households were connected to broadband. Um, and in 2021, just two years later, 84% were connected. Um, the, the largest growth we saw was in our um, K-12 household population. And that was really because we created a program specifically to support their adoption during the pandemic for remote learning. Um, so 70% of K-12 households were connected in 2019. And in 2021, we got up to 91% of K-12 households being connected. So, you know, tremendous growth um, all around. Uh, we also saw increases in our um, rates of access to desktop, laptops, large screen devices. Um, and what we found was that the primary reason for this, this big jump in adoption was because of um, subsidy programs, was because of low and discount offers. That's really something that's um, critical in, in, in our community. Um, we also learned that about a third um, of Philadelphia residents are subscription vulnerable, meaning that if they don't have that discount availability or discount offer, they would go without uh, internet. Um, so things like ACP are really critical for our community. Um, and the um, final sort of bit that we learned was that um, we, we asked residents, like, what is your max um, monthly um, rate for, for internet? Like, you know, what, what fits into your budget? Um, and residents said $20 would be the max um, for their budget. So that doesn't leave a lot of options. Um, and so, you know, that speaks to us as an important um, point for us to, to continue to advo advocate for with ACP and other, you know, ISPs in our, our local region. Um, I, the things that I think we learned from that and that, you know, 
sort of informed our next steps. Really, I would say the digital navigator network that we've established here was, I think, was a a next um, important investment. Um, Our digital navigator network has been active since 2020, um, but we recently were able to expand the network to include more multilingual navigators um, serving residents. we also are working, um, similar to, to Door County there, we're partnering with our United Way of Southeast, um, uh, Southeast Pennsylvania, um, Southern New Jersey. Um, and we linked our digital navigator network to the 211 hotline, um, which is a you know, subsidiary of the United Way. Um, so now families can call 211. They can you know, request needs for related to internet access or device access, digital skills building, and they can set up an appointment with one of our digital navigators in the network. Um, so I think that that interconnection there with resources, um, expanding the network was an important way that we could continue the work um, based on our, our survey. I think where gaps remain are with specific populations in our community. Um, so uh, older adults are the um, are experiencing the lowest rates of broadband connectivity across the city. Um, uh, folks who um, whose primary language is not English um, also experience lower rates of connectivity across the city. And so, um, you know, that's why it's important for our digital navigators to kind of grow their um, their skill set um, to make sure that we are um, bringing on digital navigators with those competencies to serve that that community. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think the the network has been tremendous in helping us to continue to push um, push forward, especially for for these lower connected residents. Yeah, um, the numbers you cite in terms of the the gaps you've been able to close already speak for themselves. That's incredible. Um, since you mentioned the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program, I'd love to stick with that for a minute. Um, it's a big topic right now, um, and anyone who keeps up with my reporting knows I'm slightly obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> so the ACP is, of course, the uh, monthly broadband subsidy. For the most part, it's a $30 um, subsidy for low-income households. 75 for um, tribal households and some higher cost, I think. I don't even know if that ever got implemented, but that was approved. Um, So uh, that program is going to run out of funding uh, in April and run out completely by May 2024. The FCC has released its guidance on winding it down. um, And this is going to affect roughly 22 to 25 million households by the time it all wraps up. And around 1,700 providers who are participating in it are going to have to start sending out guidance. Um, I am certain that this really affects local government efforts like yours. Um, so first, I'd just I'd love to hear about like how you guys have been able to promote the ACP, how your municipalities uh, have been successful in getting the word out. I know that even getting people enrolled was a bit of an uphill climb and in, in the beginning. Um, but also, what is it going to mean for you all if this program does go away? There is a bill in Congress to get it refunded. But um, if you're an observer of Congress, you might not be highly optimistic about that. Um, so just uh, tell me a bit about um, how you all are looking at this. Um, Ashley, I'll stick with you and then come back to you, Jessica. Sure. 
Um, so as far as promotion, you know, we really um, launched a, a pretty widespread campaign in the spring of 2023 um, to uh, really promote ACP, support enrollments. Um, we used it as an opportunity to transition our households, our K-12 households that were receiving our local PHL connected subsidy for internet access that subsidy was ending. And so we um, uh, thought of ACP as a great strategy to continue that access um, for for free or low cost. Um, So our campaign started in our, primarily in our our K-12 households. Um, We worked with our school district of Philadelphia. We worked with our community-based providers that that specifically work with school-aged households. Um, They sent home letters, um, did robocalls. Um, Our digital navigators did phone banking and text banking to these households to let them know, hey, your PHL connected subsidy is coming to an end, but there is another option that we can help you enroll in. Um, I mentioned the sort of integration with uh, 211, with the United Way's 211 hotline. That was tremendous because it allowed for a broader reach, not just for K-12, to call somebody and ask about ACP and get help signing up. Um, So that created a lot of visibility for the program as well as for uh, digital navigators as well. And then the digital navigators themselves did their own outreach to their to their client base. Um, They tabled, they um, to this day, you know, continue to have flyers about the program, um, what's available and share that they can set up an appointment with them to to get support. Um, We ended that sort of mass campaign uh, in uh, with back to school with a paid media campaign. Um, So we did um, uh, small billboard ads. um, We did social media campaigning. um, We ourselves, the city, um, our communications folks um, created social media and communications toolkit with sample emails and sample text messages that partners could share. Um, So last year was really a tremendous push for um, enrollment. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think relatively successful. Um, We feel good about the work um, and about the rates of of sign up across the city. I think we're at about 52% of eligible households in the city that are signed up for ACP. Um, Obviously, then the the potential wind down here is um, quite devastating, honestly. Um, And I think that um, we've tried to um, play a couple different roles. I think one role that that we're playing is advocacy, um, working with our intergovernmental and legislative folks um, at the city and the mayor's office to advocate for its renewal, um, to work with our state and federal partners um, and really push and tell the story of, of Philadelphia and why it's so critical to have and to maintain Um, we separately, I think, are trying to support our digital navigators in this moment. So, um, you know, they're asking questions and they're wondering, like, what do we do? How do we shift our guidance? Um, And we, in partnership with our United Way here, um, they co-manage the network with us. Uh, we're, We're trying to remind our digital navigators that they had a role for folks before ACP even existed. Uh, And so that role does not change. It's just what you're supporting folks with that is changing. Um, So we're really trying to promote that message of 
digital navigators being the um, sort of uh, certainty in the in the midst of the chaos, right? Um, that our digital navigators will be here to support you in whatever comes forward, um, and really trying to instill that with our our navigators. Um, I think trust is certainly an important thing and something we're concerned about. Um, you know, we're sort of flip flopping between different subsidies and one's ending, another's beginning. What's the future? Will there ever be a subsidy? How long will it last? Um, I think those are questions that, um, you know, are at the top of our mind. Um, and so that's why I think, um, being transparent and having, um, you know, uh, guidance and, and sort of, um, uh, uh, ultimately like a, a playbook of sorts or recommendations for our community partners to push out the message about what to do, what's happening, um, what's, you know, what is a, um, a reliable source of information, that sort of thing is, is I think top of our mind as well. Yeah, of course. Um, Jessica, want to, uh, come in on the same question? Sure. Um, I mean, Following Ashley on that is hard. She has the gold standard of where we'd like to get. Um, and is the ACP or a different version of it going to continue or, or survive this is the biggest question. And the way that our local government plays a role in this is, is completely different. I think the biggest role that our local government plays is that our... So our municipalities in their partnerships that they have put out their request for proposal and found internet service providers, part of that RFP was including that those providers need to have an affordable plan available that would meet the ACP standards and qualifications um, when they issue that RFP. So at least we know that those partnerships will in those subscriptions that there will be at least a $30 subscription available for people. And we also are very aware that that is still out of reach for many families and um, people in the area. So, you know, we're still looking at what we can do locally and if we can do some fundraising or philanthropy raising, um, to help with that, knowing that the ACP could very well come to an end in April, a secondary role that that we have done because our program is still very new and still growing is, you know, we did uh, provide a partnership under Education Superhighway, and we did outreach to a lot of our um, county departments where we had uh, Zooms with them to make them available of that platform to use for ACP outreach for all of their clients and shared information with all of the not-for-profits in the area. Information went out to the school districts under United Way um, and outreach for them. I was able to do an in-person event with one of the school registrations to have information available. Um, I didn't, the challenging piece here is having those discussions with people that, you know, you're in the middle of school registration and you have other families around you. Um, so we didn't get to have as many discussions as I would have liked to have had. But if it, we're, we're hoping it's at least rebranded into something else at some point, uh, or we can find a way for fundraising to help with that initiative. Because at this point, I don't have the metrics 
that Ashley has because we haven't gotten that far into it. We've definitely had materials available and outreach available. We just do not have the numbers available on where we are with enrollment and the impact with us locally. Sure. But either way, it sounds like whether you're going to have to find a new source of funding or, you know, work on building trust with your communities or counsel digital navigators about their careers, it's a new heavy lift for you all uh, on top of it likely uh causing your communities to get disconnected to some degree. So it's it's uh, it's not great, not a great situation that Congress is putting you in. Um, but Paolo, I wondered if you could also speak to the ACP issue, you know, with a broader view on all of these local governments um, that NDIA works with. Um, and I know, of course, NDIA has been a huge advocate for getting the program refunded. So anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would just add, you know, uh, both Jessica and Ashley provide really, really strong points. Like the, the word that I heard a lot uh, in the remarks was trust and partnerships and ACP, you know, as I'm, I'm sad to speak about it in the past tense already, but I, I think I have to. ACP really represented like this excellent partnership between the local governments, community organizations, and also people with lived experiences, not only to share what digital equity and digital inclusion means, but to show what the impact of, you know, reliable internet access, like what that impact can look like uh, for households who in most cases need it the most, right? Because the, you know, the households that are eligible for the program. Um, so I think I would just add that Jessica and Ashley uh, represent communities and local governments that have done excellent work in building trust with community members where trusts may not have been there, but also developing partnerships, right? Like building those those strong digital those strong digital equity ecosystems that we want to see as a result of uh, of, of their efforts. Um, I'll just add that from NDIA's perspective, you know, we're we're advocating for ACP. Uh, you know, we're we're it would it would be nice to see ACP integrated into the Universal Service Fund USF, which is may, maybe a pathway that we see forward. Um, you know, not much more information on that, but you know, yeah. for now we are we we maintain a page that we call our free and low cost plans page that existed mm -hmm. before 2020, uh, even before the emergency broadband benefit EBB, the precursor to ACP, um, and you know we're, we're pointing folks in that direction that has always been our page where we sort of like a database of uh, ISP subsidy programs uh, that pre were precursors to ACP. So for instance, like yeah. Comcast Internet Essentials, AT&T Access. Um, but yeah, we are, we're, 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 we're trying to fight the good fight here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, Paolo, I'm going to stick with you to close this thing out. Um, I've kept you all longer than I intended to. But coming back to the digital inclusions, trailblazers um, effort, um, can you share anything about other ways beside, uh, that trailblazers are succeeding with their digital inclusion efforts? And any other info you wanted to share on the resources that NDIA has released as part of this overall announcement? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy to stay on longer. I can talk about this. Okay, okay. Um, okay. But no, but but truly, um, you know, as far as the resources uh, that applicants submitted for Trailblazers, like I would just underscore that all of that information is free and available on the Trailblazers website now. Um, mm -hmm. In total, I think it was over 600 
distinct resources, documents, uh, you know, outreach materials, entire digital equity plans, uh, program information that uh, both Door County, Philly, and 45 other trailblazers submitted this year. So, you know, all of that information is open and available on the website. And we did our best to try to organize that information in meaningful ways for different types of users or different types of visitors to the website. So for instance, if someone was interested in learning everything that Philly is doing, right, they can just see Philly's entire application. So they can learn more about the Digital Navigator program. They can read the Digital Equity Plan. But we also separated out the resources that folks folks submitted uh, by categories. So if, if a user, if a visitor to the website, maybe a, an applicant for next year's Digital uh, Inclusion Trailblazers program wanted to learn more about funding or partnership agreements or coalition building. All of that information is there on the website and it's something that we're really, really excited to share, uh, not only every year, but this year especially because we were really trying to like make it make sense for people and communities who are newer to the digital inclusion field in order to encourage them to gather their own information, right? They, they, they can be a trailblazer next year if they are able to articulate and gather their information uh, and, and submit it in an application. So I would just encourage folks to really just click around. There's a, there's a wealth of information there. Um, and then also one quick plug, we will be awarding uh, the digital navigate or the digital inclusion trailblazers at our conference net inclusion next month. We'll be seeing Ashley in person in Philly. Ashley has been helpful on the local planning team. Um, so we're going to have an award ceremony in Philly um, and excited to celebrate in person there. Very cool. And I will make sure I have links to uh, all of the relevant stuff you just mentioned in the show notes. Um, I'm going to close this out, but any final things you all wanted to add, Jessica, Ashley, uh, that I didn't give you a chance to say? The only thing that I really wanted to mention that I forgot to mention was that I felt like uh, the state of Wisconsin broadband office, I was really happy to see that in their initial proposal, volume two, that they also included a middle class affordability plan as part of their planning to try to address affordability also for um, that category of people. So that would be it. Love that. Yes. How about you, Ashley? Anything else you wanted to add? Um, I think just throughout um, this conversation and, and you know, just lessons learned broadly from the work, I, I, I really think that um, this trust um, piece that, that Jessica raised and I talked a little bit about is, is just center of everything that we do. Um, ultimately, like we're in the business of creating relationships and and supporting folks with what they need. Um, And sometimes broadband, when you talk about broadband, um, that's confusing and it's complex. And how do you sign up and what are speeds and how do I know if it's good? Um, So I think, you know, at the core of the work and something that, you know, I kind of am thinking about as I leave this conversation is just the relationship building, the people work that this is and and supporting folks to, to build that trust, especially from entities like governments that have broken trust in the past. Um, I think that's really critical for us to think about moving forward. I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation. Um, I want to thank you all so much for taking time to talk with me today. uh, And thank you for the incredible work you're all doing to close the digital divide. And I hope to chat with you again soon. 
Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Paolo, Jessica, and Ashley for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.